You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast. Thank you very much for showing up. I really appreciate you spending this time with me. I don't have too much to plug before we get right into this episode, but I do want to let you know about another podcast that I was recently a guest on. I was on the Man the Helm podcast with my dude Jake, and I had a really good time. We dug more heavily into my whole backstory than I think I've done on any other podcast that I've been interviewed on, and I just really enjoyed the conversation. So if you check out Man the Helm podcast, it's on Spotify, and I think it recently just got on Apple Podcast as well. It's very similar in format to this one where it's just fun conversations with people. My co-host on Chasing Tone, Richard Oliver, was also on recently, as well as a guest that's coming up on the Tone Mob, Stay Metal Ray, who is a fantastic YouTuber and personality. And Jake does a great job with the podcast. So go check out Man the Helm podcast wherever you're, you're listening to this, most likely. All right. Without further ado, let's get into this episode with my dude, Alex, from Science Amps. This is a great conversation. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tone Mob podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Wylan, and with me today, I have Alex Gonziano from Science Amps. How's it going? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Dude, I've been meaning to actually do this for a long time because I've been following you on socials for like, I don't know, like five years and just like... Aw, shucks. Looking at, looking at the builds and watching little videos here and there as they pop up. They're not as frequent as I would like, but uh, man, your stuff, is, your stuff is amazing, <laughs> if dude. More, if I had more time, I would uh, love to make more, more videos. It's good <sighs> to get more, good, good to get the encouragement, though. Yeah. Well, the, the, the first time I saw it, I feel like it just either, so I don't even remember how I found your stuff. Like somebody I follow posted it or I found it, I don't know, the algorithm blessed me with an image or something. I'm not really mm-hmm. sure. Uh but it was immediately, I was like, wow, I can tell the attention to detail that goes into these things is extremely high. And uh, the vibe is is just right for me. I loved it. So you do oh, good thanks. work. I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. So cool. for my own education, because, you know, uh, as much as I've been stalking your images all these years, I don't know that much about you or your story and how you came to be making these awesome amps. I like to keep it pretty mysterious. No, um, I actually started um, the business in 2009. um, And I was living in, I've kind of, I'm in Seattle now, um, in South Seattle, and I've kind of popped around the Northwest. But I um, I started in Olympia, Washington, where I went to to school at the Evergreen State College. And then um, I, you know, um, just working on, I still work out of a home shop, but I started at a very small shop and I, um, I apprenticed for, um, well, I, 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 uh, I, I Googled, um, tube amps, Olympia. I decided I wanted to <laughs> figure, learn how to fix my own amps. So, um, uh, this was a little before then. And, um, and uh, I found a guy, and I just cold emailed him. His name's Dale Murrow, and um, 
he said, yeah, come over. I'll, sh- I'll show you some stuff. <laughs> um, which now in retrospect is like, I realize is really rare. Most people don't respond to those kind of emails or <laughs> say, leave me alone. I don't have time. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, uh, he was like doing repairs for a local shop and he, um, he still makes amps. I, uh, I think he's still making amps under the name old school amps. And, um, he, um, he showed me like what tools to get some construction stuff, you know, forums to go to and like all the beginner stuff that's really hard to, to figure out. And, um, yeah, I just started, um, working on amps and I think that was a few years before. And then, uh. I decided to to build some amps for some friends and kind of started from there. And then I've I've lived in Portland and other places around Seattle. Gotcha. Yeah. But yeah, that's basically how it got going. And did you just did you have a style of amplifier that you just liked sonically, or you like? I know some when people get really nerdy about this stuff, sometimes it's like, oh, I just love how this company mounts their turret boards and like, you know, did you have some inspirations as you dove into it? Yeah, I would say at the beginning, it was kind of a combination of what I already knew um, and, and liked, or actually kind of what I, I always played, um, my main amp that I always played was uh, Marshall, uh, Mm -hmm. just a JC made hundred. And I had, to be honest, I wish I still had the amp so I could figure out what was going on with it. But at the, when I had it in high school, you know, it was always a, now that I've, I've, you know, I'm so f- familiar with that circuit and have played so many Marshalls now and stuff that I, I realized the one I had was kind of a lemon. <laughs> something was wrong. Something was up with it. And I don't, I, I couldn't even tell you, you know, without hearing it now what was, but it was really, they're, they're known as pretty bright amps. Yeah. This one was like crazy bright. And like there was some, there was something up with it. And, um. I couldn't even tell you if maybe it was just the cab I had at the time, but the, uh, um, so I, I kind of knew, I kind of started with like Marshalls and, um, at that time, like, uh, if you had a JC made hundred, now those amps are, I mean, they were even iconic at the time, but, um, now they're considered like, they're, they're almost like rare, becoming rare and really expensive now. Mm-hmm. At the time they were, you know, a lot, most bands use them. And so this was like, I should also, I'm 35, so I'm not that old, but this was like, you know, I went to high school in the 2000s. A lot of people were using Marshall JC made hundreds and Mesa rectifiers and stuff like that. 5150s. 5150s, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, with the Marshall. So um, I really wanted to, I'd never even tried a Plexi. And everyone and I figured, well, if I like an eight hundred, a plexi's got to be better. It's just going to be <laughs> even better because I've right. never heard it, and it's just going to sound exactly all the things I don't like about my eight hundred. <laughs> so the first amp I really built, like a big amp, was basically a fifty watt plexi, mm-hmm. and um, I started with that, and then started modifying that, and that became my first amp, which was called the Fiction, actually, like. It's I like it. Bad, it, it. Thank you. I, it's kind of a bad it's a science fiction. I know. I like it. I'm a fan. But, they, <laughs> but that was my first amp. And then um, that one actually became the Hellhawk. Um, once I, I don't know, I just decided to change the name and change it more. And um, that was kind of my first amp was, big amp was Plexi. 
inspired. And so, um, yeah. Does that? Sorry, was that the question? The, sure, that works. Yeah, yeah. Did did <laughs> did that amp, amp uh, address all of your JCM eight hundred problems, or were no, you like, not wait, really? Wait, no. What it happened? Was, it did, you know, it didn't sound like I expected it to sound. It wasn't as gainy as I thought it'd be, as, as I thought it would be. So, um, but you know, all these things led me to different modifications and experimenting with different things. So it was a really good learning thing. It, it did, it wasn't as bright, that's for sure, but it was actually a bit too uh, dark, at least the way that I had built it at first. And so, yeah, it was actually a pretty good platform for me uh, and you know most amps to the big amps are based off of Marshalls, so right. Um, it was the perfect amp for me to to experiment with. And Marshalls are based off of a basement, so it all comes That's back right. to they somewhere. Are, they are, yeah. This, but the Plexi is is almost a part for part of the of the Tweed Super Twin or the or the base or the JTM forty five is like the basement. Yeah, yeah. It's it's weird though because I think in most guitar play, players' heads. We like a lot of people know that to be true, mm-hmm. but even me knowing that, I don't put them in the same sonic territory in my brain. Uh, I always think yeah. of Fender, especially those models, kind of being like more old school rock and roll tones. Mm-hmm. And then I think of Marshall, I think of ACDC and, and things mm-hmm. like that, you know, Hendrix, and those don't sound the same, you know? Um, yeah. And I wonder how much of that is the circuit itself and how much of that is the players that were using them at the time. Yeah, I think it's both. And I think a huge part of it is the uh, the speakers. the Because, you know, the basements are 410 mm-hmm. Jensen's open back. And that is such a huge, such a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I would say I would say it's that, and it's just like a lot of how we associate. Because another another one is the Sun Model T, yeah, and that amp. Besides, it has an what's called an ultralinear power amp, which does, to be honest, doesn't really affect the sound very much at all. Um, maybe when the power amp starts distorting, you could hear it under like with a you know recording it or something. But um, that preamp is also exactly the same. Besides, a couple little changes as a JTM 45 or a basement. Really? Same thing. And peop- yeah, and people really do not, as- except for it has a ma- master volume, but uh, people don't associate those at all with even, you know, how the associations we have with, with basements and plexis and stuff. Not at all. And I don't, I don't put the Model T in the Marshall territory either. That's really yeah. interesting. Wow. It is funny too. It's like their most, it was their most, well, now at least uh, popular of their vintage amps, you know? Mm-hmm. It's the one that kind of stood the test of time, and it's funny because it's, it's just that same circuit. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, the bands that ended up picking them up. And, and of course, totally. like the Sun cabinets, we, we were talking about cabinets. Like, I have this old Sun 2x12 that uh, mm-hmm. I just love. Everything I plug into it just gets so much... The, the bottom end gets tightened up. Like I can throw as low of tunings as I want at it. I've never tried a bass, but on guitar, I can throw as low of tunings as I want at it and mm-hmm. it'll handle it. And it just, everything's so much more forward and punchy with that with that cab. It doesn't matter what amp I plug into it. It has that that kind of oh, response. Cool. You, so does I wonder, it have the original speakers in it? It does. It's got the original sun-labeled like square 
magnet oh, yeah. things. I don't know what, well, I haven't taken it apart in a long time. I don't remember if the magnets themselves are square or if it's the cover. Um, yeah, I'm not too familiar with with those uh, speakers. I've only um, ever used one of the ported 215s that came with the 200S or 2000S amps. Mm-hmm. And those had JBL, I think a D130, which is a pretty like... Um, sought after speaker. I know like Weber makes a version of it and um but uh I haven't I haven't, you know, uh really messed with the two twelves but that sounds cool. Yeah. I love that old stuff. Is it like an old is it like a sixties or seventies one? Does it have a yeah, silver grill? It exactly. Yeah. I'm guessing yeah. it's the I'm guessing it's mid seventies if I had to take a, a wild stab in the dark. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um but now that we're saying this, I it's reminding me that Conrad Sunholm lives. He lives like, by you. Lives like fifteen <laughs> minutes away, and yeah. I, I I talked to him years ago about coming on the podcast, uh-huh. and and it didn't really work out for whatever reason. But I'm like, wait a minute, I have to I have to do that. Like, why why have I not done that yet? You know, yeah. <laughs> it's it's amazing he's around. You know, it's just like because to, to me he's like that. That's like interviewing um. Fender or something. <laughs> I know. Like, he's like the guy and he's still making amps and he's still yeah. like, I got to talk to him. I mean, I I did interview Mike Mitchell uh, from the Kingsman, which, oh, you yeah. remember, like a long time ago. He lived around here too. And we actually went into Cascade Cigar with my friend Jess and hung out with Mike Mitchell and smoked wow. cigars and like just talked about rock and roll. It was a great episode. I don't know how many people have went back and listened to that, but yeah. he was talking about you know, Conrad. My, my men- yeah, I was going to mm-hmm. say my mentor, Dale, he grew up in a little town called Elma up the 101 and he, um, up from, from like Olympia. And uh, he said the first time he ever noticed a tube amp was when he was in high school and the Kingsmen played his prom or homecoming. Okay. And uh, it was a, uh, it was a. Uh, he thinks it was like an early Model T. They were using it for bass, mm-hmm. and that would have been one of the Sundholm brothers, or it, it, Conrad. Or I think was the circuit guy, and then I I feel like his brother his brother was in the was in the band, and I believe yeah, played, I think it I was probably bass. his brother, unless unless Mike Mitchell played bass. I don't know. No, he played guitar. So yeah. yeah. They had a lot of lineup changes over the year, but originally yeah. <laughs> one of the Sunholm brothers was was the bassist, and he Mike was saying he was like, "We just needed more power, like there was nothing on the market that could yeah. deliver what yeah. we were looking for, and so we had to he had to make it himself basically, and that's where yeah, Sun came crazy. from. Yeah, yeah, wild. That's so cool. I feel like Fender should really do something. They still own the brand. They should like yeah. do something with it. Yeah, I think the last, I don't know if the last thing they did was that reissue, which that reissue is not anything like the old one. And um, same with Orange, you know, they're, they're pretty much only the same in in the name. I think Orange has made some uh, reissues of old amps, but most of their amps are like modded high gain stuff or actually based off Voxes or Fenders and stuff. Right. So like the Rocker Verb, that one's the closest to like an angle uh, Powerball or something. And a lot of people play. It's kind of, it, a lot of it is psychological because you see the, the way it looks and you go, oh, that's the, 
the sun sound, but it's like, no, it's actually the Marshall sound. <laughs> right. But, it's this, but um, those amps are cool. They're definitely, the, all these amps I'm talking about are cool in their own way, but they're, uh, it's just funny because they, yeah, it's, they could definitely reissue a, a Model T for sure. I'm sure people would be into it. So going back a little bit, you were talking about the ultralinear transformers. So oh, sure. maybe yeah. maybe you can explain a little bit of what that means to the audience because I kind of know. I have a Fender 75 that has one. Um, and I always heard oh, how sure. t- how terrible they sounded. And I was always confused because I'm like, this sounds pretty good to me. Um, so what is it that people think they don't like about them? I, I honestly have no idea. I, I think it's just a thing that started um, because... It's basically something that's borrowed from from the hi-fi world mm-hmm. um, to get a more linear response out of the power tubes. Uh, and I, you know, I haven't played with it very much, but um, it requires a different kind of um, uh, output transformer, and it's it's a different way of connecting the uh, the output tubes. And I I think it's just supposed to give like um, more headroom and more linear response until yeah. clipping, and so. I think that the idea is that because you know Doctor Z uses it, mm-hmm. and uh, in an amp that is not designed as a totally clean amp, and I think when they came out, I can't remember which model it is. When they came out with that amp, it kind of exploded some of the myths about like ultralinear is bad. But I think right. the idea was that you know it it's to make the amp operate more clean and or cleanly and. Uh, you know, guitar amps, we like overdrive and distortion, so therefore it's a bad thing in a guitar <laughs> amp. But um, crank up a Model T, does it sound bad? Like, you know, can you hear the ultra-linearness of it? You know, it's it's really, I, I don't, I couldn't even tell you where that really started. I think it's just the association with hi-fi and that... Um, and that's why Sun did it. I mean, Sun, they when they started, they were modifying uh, Dynaco kits. They were buying kit amps and modifying those. And so I'm pretty, I mean, the Sun, as far as I can tell, is like a 150-watt Dynaco-style power amp. And they were even using those transformers. And, and then they basically just attached the uh, Fender um, basement front end to it. Mm-hmm. And that was that. I put a master <laughs> volume between them, which was actually kind of novel for the time. I mean, Hi-Watt was had them and Trainer had them, but um, it's not a very good master volume either. You know, it doesn't let the amp get... Um, you can't really get very much gain with it turned down, but it works. You know, there's something <laughs> to right. control the volume. <laughs> it, it's funny to see, too, like something that was, you know, like you said, Hi-Watt and Trainer. You don't see a lot of high watt and trainer amps floating around the Pacific Northwest, especially not at the time. So it makes you wonder if they did kind of just come up with that idea, you know, independently. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You'll have to, you'll have to ask Conrad. Uh, (laughs) I'll be listening closely to see what he says. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's weird how some certain types of gear gets a little bit pocketed away, you know, like, uh, you know, we don't see a lot of vintage orange stuff over here either. Which yeah. is why when I saw this cab that my friend Hank had recently, I immediately like I was like, I have to have this because it's like early 70s orange cab with 68 cream backs in it and it's in like flawless 
condition. And I was, it just got like rat holed away in a basement in Portland sure. for some reason. And it's, I'm thinking like, how did this even get here? And then yeah. how did it just, how did it get here? And how did it just stay? It has the amp cover and, or the cabinet cover and everything. Oh, that's it, amazing. Yeah. It just stayed in the, this person's basement. Like, it's weird how this stuff travels and gets pushed around. My son, I inherited from somebody who was just like, I don't know what to do with this. I was like, well, I'll take it. I don't know what, what there's, but by that same token, around here, you do see a lot of old sun gear just kind of at garage sales and knocking around. Not as much as you yeah. used to, but it was, that's where I first heard of the brand was just seeing it randomly and going, hmm, I wonder what that is. Yeah, there used to be a lot, especially in Oregon, floating yep. around. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're, making amps now mm -hmm. like, like what let's talk about your your lineup and you know what what kind of goes into each one so you you mentioned the hellhawk earlier yeah and that are you still doing the fiction or over the years but um that's my oldest model yeah okay well so let's uh let's go through the range tell me about them. sure that one well um, and I hopefully this year I can come out with a couple new things. I've just been so busy um, fulfilling orders and man, I love to design amps, you know, and I just have not been able to find, find the time. <laughs> I thought I'd get less busy during the pandemic, but I got more busy. So, um, um, so yeah, the Hellhawk, that one, I would say that one's kind of like my ultimate Marshall kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It can go from like, um, 67 plexi to super high gain hot rotted and it still keeps like the Marshall voice um, it's maybe uh, yeah I would, that's how I describe that one it's two channels it has a shared EQ I tried to basically make it two channels but keep it as simple as possible so the first channel I would say is in the plexi range and then um or even like a Sun <laughs> Model T. <laughs> and then it basically just goes from there. And um, and then I have another model, the Decolonizer. And that one, that one's actually, those amps became pretty similar. I think I'm probably going to discontinue one and, and do something else because they've kind of like merged closely. <laughs> but the Decolonizer right. is kind of, I describe it, it's kind of like a little bit more of the deluxe version in that um, the clean channel has a separate EQ and the overdrive channel has a foot switchable boost. So it kind of acts like a two and a half channel amp. So you can have like mm -hmm. a clean or a dirty clean, a kind of crunch sound, and then like a super high gain sound um, just from the amp. Um, and that one's voiced pretty similarly. It's maybe like a little bit tighter and more aggressive for certain like more modern, well, not even necessarily modern, but like just different styles of metal and stuff. Yeah. Um, the Earthling is my amp. That is, and all these amps I make in 50, 100, or 200 watts. So um, you can get them in whatever power level you want. Um, it didn't used to be that way, but in 2017 I started making it so you could, you could get any of the models in any power level. Um, the Earthling is my amp that's based off of... Uh, Mad Amp GT120, which is another kind of like legendary amp that's very rare, more rare than a Model T probably in the United States. And um, and uh, that one I make in a single or two channel. The single channel one is pretty true to the original. I was lucky to have my friends um, in my shop for like 
he let me borrow it for like a couple of years. I had also a friend's Model T for a long time too. I have friends that are really nice and don't use their vintage amps too much. So um, <laughs> I'm really obsessed with like A being amps. I have all kinds of like elaborate setups to, to A B amps in real time. So, um, and I, I, so I, I basically, I have a single channel version, which is pretty true to the original, except for it has a master volume, um, that works real good to let you, uh, turn the thing down. Cause those are some of the <laughs> loudest amps and they get really loud, really fast. And, um, and, uh, you know, um, I've made some tweaks to the circuit, of course. And then, um, and then the two channel one is kind of is kind of weird because it's instead of having like a clean and an overdrive channel, that amp for a vintage amp, especially with the type of master volume that's in it, that allows the power amp to break up, they 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 have a pretty good range from clean to overdrive, and it's almost like a, you know, if you've heard it, it's kind of, um, it's a very mid focus kind of almost more it can be more fuzzy kind of overdrive, mm -hmm. um, and. Uh, so what I decided to do on the two-channel version is to um, make two channels of two of two identical channels. So um, the idea, is, because the because the one channel has so much range, I figured, well, I can just make two of the same channel. And then the idea is like, you're. It's almost as if you had two mad amps, yes, behind you, and you could mm -hmm. a b between two vintage amps with just different settings. And um, I thought of, like, Neil Young, how he's famous for, like, he uses, you know, well, he uses a lot of stuff, but, like, his main amp is the 5E3, Tweed 5E3. Mm -hmm. And I know his tech built, like, a motorized thing that clamps onto the knobs. Have you heard about this? Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, it's, it's like called, a, like, it has a funny name, like, Merlin Gizmotron or something. Or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, like, and basically he hits a button and it has these, like, activates these like I don't know what a servo motor is but I've heard that it's like these servo motors and they literally turn the knob so he can have his cleaner and his overdrive sound in that same amp because of course he has a million tweed amps but he's like into this one right. so <laughs> he's like I just want the sound of it turned up <laughs> so they created that so this is kind of a similar um, a similar idea where you have two different you know, each channel has its own master volume, its own gain control. There is a shared EQ, but then each one has its own rotary, um, kind of like high and low end filter, mm -hmm. and um, so you can you can voice them differently, and um, and so yeah, I make that in single or this dual channel version. Um, what else have I got? The street sweeper. That's kind of like my fendery or like clean side of a dumble kind of amp. Um, I've been making that one for a long time too. Um, it has some different voicing options, and it's kind of special features. It has two uh, reverbs you can switch between. Oh, cool! So you can, yeah. It's kind of elaborate. I've, I've, I, you know, I've noticed with like, um, I started making that amp. I would say before. I mean, pedals have always been popular, but like before, like the extreme pedal boom, mm -hmm. and maybe before, before spring reverb emulation got good. Yeah. Um, which some people might argue that it's still not the same. Um, I might be one of those people, but <laughs> but um, basically, um, the reverb has a level and like a well, I call it a color control. It's like a tone control for the reverb, similar to uh, 
the 6G15 reverb units. Have you seen those? The, uh, I'm, the reverb units that sit on top of the amp? Yep. Yeah, so it's similar It's similar to that, but you have but with the foot switch, you can turn the reverb on and off, or you can uh, switch between two different reverb and reverb tone settings um, in the amp. Is it all in, still in the same tank and everything, or do you have two yeah, different reverb that, tanks? Yeah, that's a common question. Yeah, it's yeah. the same tank, um, and you're just switching between the controls, basically. Got it. Got it. Yeah, and um, so you can have like a subtle and a more extreme reverb setting or a bright and a dark one um, instead of having to use a pedal for like a second um, setting. Yeah. Um, and then my most popular amp is this amp called The Mother, and that one's high watt influenced. Um, that one's that one I've also I've been making that one since like 2013, I think, or 2012, and um, I'm on like the Mark III version, and um, that one I also make in a single or a dual channel version. The single channel is basically just the clean channel, and mm-hmm. um, that one's kind of like. Um, I kind of advertise that one works real well for guitar or bass, um, and the uh, the single channel one's kind of like more of a pedal platform. It does get some crunch, but not a lot, and um, it's just a versatile, just clean amp. And then the other amp, um, the overdrive channel is kind of unique because it can actually get pretty clean too. But it can then it can get really high gain. Kind of it can even do like I play in a death metal band, and I we used it on our record mm-hmm. you know it can do like tight metal or you can play clean bass i think that's probably why it's my most versatile amp it's like or my most popular probably because it's the most versatile I would yeah say. right yeah and and then again 50 to 200 all... watts so like y- yeah exactly mm-hmm. yeah that's super cool yeah, I, yeah thank you for the rundown because yeah i was oh, like sure. i was just like looking at all of them going like hmm they all look hmm, the same. They've one? all got treble <laughs> controls. They've, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes so I see pedal companies and they like make each kind of pedal have its own different look, which is easier in a pedal, you know. But I'm like, and then I think about my amps. I'm like, oh, this is probably confusing if you're uh, looking at these for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> a little, a little bit, a little bit. You can but, always email me and ask. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's right. You're around. Yeah, Easy around. to get a hold of. Yeah. Uh, but I did want to ask you, speaking of the mm-hmm. look, though, the, I think the look, you know, we, we, we as players want to say that, like, we don't care about that stuff. But ultimately, we, yeah. we hear with our eyes half the time. Yeah. And, and your look is what drew me in in the first place. I was just like, wow, this is a beautiful looking amplifier. I love how it looks. How long did it take you to come up with that vibe? Um, not super long. I knew, I'm trying to remember what it was like at the beginning. Um, and I, I actually originally started the company with a friend of mine and we kind of came up with it together. I liked the look. I know I liked the look of old Marshalls and how they had, um, some, uh, like the front of the head cabinet has some little, I call, I always call them wings. <laughs> They're not wings, <laughs> but the the part that goes like over the side of the chassis, the chassis yeah. doesn't go all the way to the end of the amp. Um, I li- I knew I wanted that. I knew um, I I think for the large logo um, with the with the wide letter spacing, I I think I was probably looking at an old magnetone maybe or um, matchless or something. Mm-hmm. And um, 
And what else was I into? Um, and then high watts. I like yeah. the I like the simplicity of the high watts. They're kind of minimal, but they have a look. So I I think I was kind of going for a future retro look. There's something it like obviously has a my amps have a pretty classic look, but they also um, are maybe more even minimal than some older stuff in that they don't have piping and um, there's no gold or anything. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I would say that was the like main inspiration. My old amps to the old, the original heads are big. They're big. Oh, At yeah. the time, I didn't think they were very big, but they are big. They're like as long as a old as like a JC because I always played a JC eight hundred. Those amps are really long. They're they you know they <clears throat> span the whole cab. Yeah. And my old heads are a little bit shorter, but they're deeper. It's funny. I when I see them now, I'm like, what was I thinking? These things are just gigantic. <laughs> they're still pretty big, but they're not that big. Yeah. Every time I pick up my PV Windsor head and like look in the back of it, I'm like, why is this head so tall? And huge, right? Like, it's. I mean, it's. It's weird how I got that thing, but like, yeah, it's. Those are, to my understanding, essentially a JCM eight hundred. Uh, yeah, there's something as far like as I'm that. aware. Yeah, yeah, but I'm looking at like how much room is in there, and I'm just like, wow, like Hartley, you really went, you really killed a lot of trees for no reason. Um, yeah, the other one, <laughs> the era of like the VTMs and the butchers and stuff are famous too because they're really heavy. And uh, if you take one out of the cabinet, it's just the... Uh... Oh, you know what's funny? I listened to the interview you did with um, with Andy Fuchs. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he literally... I think he mentioned this too. Because it's just so funny that um, those PVs, they're just like the head cabinet. It's made out of MDF. And it's like it weighs... It literally weighs as much or more than the actual amp. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe it. The first, I, I think every amp tech or whatever remembers the first time they took out a PV, they are like, what? <laughs> <laughs> the chassis is kind of thin and like, it's just the, the head box. But Right. It's like, it's like they're tricking you. Like if we make it heavy, people will think it's high quality. Like Right. And I still meet <laughs> players that are into, they don't like, and I mean, I think everyone has their limit of, I don't know about you, but I always get kind of a weird feeling when I see a tiny little Class D amp on top of like a Ampeg 810. Yeah. It just doesn't really look... The, it's just not propor, It's just not proportionate. It, I'd almost you know, rather almost put it like on the not see it. Yeah, put it behind it. Like, I don't yeah. want to look at it. I'd <laughs> rather just see the cabinet there. I know yeah. why you do it. I get it. It's, yeah, it practically makes sense, but... Yeah, you're right. I mean, even even things like a friend of mine has like a a base terror on a Ampeg like refrigerator cab, and I'm just like, no, we we need to be bigger. <laughs> yeah, I I don't I don't think it's like a weird. Um, have I heard this phrase? It was like uh, petrol masculinity or something. It was about like the idea of associating like gas guzzling trucks and motorcycles with like being a man. <laughs> or something and like how you know people should try to break that association <laughs> because it's obviously just like an invented thing um you know using gas doesn't make you a man and just having a big amp it's the same thing so i hope that's not where that's coming from i think for me it's just literally like a visual it's more of an aesthetic thing like i don't care about like big amps like even though i make big amps i don't 
I don't care about it. I think it's just like the look of it bothers me on like an aesthetic level. <laughs> yeah. So well, I, I totally get that about wanting an amp that's not micro, you know. But by the same token, it has it has to be that because it has to be an aesthetic thing primarily because like a small combo amp doesn't bother me. It looks like what it's yeah, supposed to be there, totally. you know? Yeah, it's, yeah, totally. Same. It's yeah. just it's just like a, a proportionate thing. So, um, yeah, now my amps are a little bit smaller and they're like about the size of like a high watt or actually a Model T is, is, is about the same size. So I also kind of like the look when the head is a little smaller than the cab, has a little sh- shoulder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's getting picky, but, you know, I definitely... Um, I design amps, so I think about this stuff a lot, you know. I think people don't realize the depths of of nerdery. Like, as nerdy as guitar players get about their own gear, when you start Mm -hmm. making gear, the depths that you go to, to the point where you're like, okay, like for us uh, at Stringjoy, it's like, okay, like how many months did we spend doing the the rebrand and like thinking about how that impacted the boxes and like how we were going to, make the labels fit and how they were going to fold together and how they, and when they're all stacked up on a shelf, what do they look like? It's like the Mm. level of nerdery you can get to with any kind of brand or product uh, can go really deep. But I think when you put the time in it, it shows. And I think that's probably why we're talking today. Cause like I said, your amps were just like, I'm like, wow, those are beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks. I, I think Mm. I've gotten, I'm grateful that I spent a lot of time working on it because, you know, it's definitely gotten people curious about my amps and stuff. So Yeah. Um, well, well, if I think about Orange as a brand, right? Like, I didn't know they existed when I first started playing guitar. And I right. would guess that most guys our age didn't either. Um, and all of a sudden that, you know, they every hardcore band was playing them, you know, on stage at various festivals and the mm-hmm. warp tour and all the punk punk bands were playing it and all of a sudden mm-hmm. it was like everyone was literally going what are those orange amps up there right right you know i i you could make the argument that their aesthetic essentially rebirthed that entire brand by nature of just being different and cool looking you know to and some to- totally like i was saying the fact that they can make completely new amp designs and keep the look and yeah, I mean, that's that's a good example. I mean, and it's kind of a... Div- I mean, I would say most guitar players because it appreciate... I wonder about this sometimes, like even like a Marshall. Like I'm like, if I saw a Marshall today and it, and it wasn't, it never had existed before, mm-hmm. would I like it? I don't know. I don't really like gold on amps. Right. But it's like when I see a Marshall, I'm like, oh yeah, like an old one. I'm like, that's just <laughs> yeah. the best. But I, I, it's hard to part and parcel. Like, and not that it matters, but like, what is, what is just, um, you know, it's the same with guitar tone. I mean, this this conversation comes up a lot with um, tube amps, especially, um, and it's the reason why a lot of tube amps draw from classic designs. It's like I could design an amp from scratch. I could totally do that, and I could voice it by ear but i bet you i would what i would come up with would be still pretty close to some iconic sound cuz there's different ways to get to the same sound yeah for example for example like my mother amp the dual channel version the high gain channel i can get it to sound almost i did a i actually did a video um 
just like in my story the other day about, it was like comparing to a, a Marshall JMP. And I could get, I mean, I couldn't tell the difference between them. And one's based off, one's like a hot rotted high watt and the other one's a Marshall. And on paper, they look totally different, but you could get them to sound virtually identical, even with like fairly similar settings. And, you know, was, um, who designed uh, high watts? Dave, Dave, Dave Reeves. Did him and Leo Fender or Marshall, were they like all thinking, like were they copying each other? And they just were, you know, there's a point where there's just too much treble or there's too (laughs) too this or too that. And everyone kind of, you know, all those amps do have a different tone, um, but they're more similar than they are different, I would say. And there's some amps that are really quite different in their overall tone and response like the vintage orange or something it's very flat in the mid-range but i um it could be but in general you know players especially today more way more than back then when like rock music was just being created for the first time we're so used to hearing certain sounds that um i found that guitar players like are it's as experimental as they get with pedals People, when it comes to amps, are pretty conservative. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, because it's kind of like, you just, oh, the amp's too bright, it's too dark, it's too this, it's too that. Like, mo- a lot of people have the very of the similar idea of, like, what's acceptable, like, guitar tone when you just plug straight into an amp. Yeah. But with I, pedals, I think, it's like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're going to put cool. a bit crusher on the tail of this reverb. Why not, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. I, you know I, what I'm saying, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder if that's because like as a guitar, like even though even when you get into extended tunings and things like that, guitar is mm-hmm. primarily a mid-range instrument. It occupies a lot of the same range that a vocalist does. And I think guitarists probably as a baseline, we even even if we're not thinking in those terms, we kind of know that from just from playing for so long. Yeah. And so anything that kind of falls too far outside of that spectrum, especially getting on the high end, getting a little too shrill, for me anyway, I'm that's when I start going, nah, 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 this isn't it. You know, I can yeah. deal with maybe a little bit too much low end, but if it starts getting ice picky, I'm just like not not interested. Yeah, I found like regardless of genre, uh, people have similar ideas of um, like tonally what is good and bad it's it actually surprises me sometimes mm-hmm. um but it also totally depends on the context uh you know but um espe- especially within a certain thing so it's good it's good for me because i can um i've i would say i i don't make amps like for a specific genre of music i like all kinds of music so um Sometimes I kind of wish that some of my amps, uh, I could just stick to one thing. <laughs> but I really like the idea of versatile equipment. I always have. That was, I think, one of my design goals from the beginning was to make amps that could be used for different styles of music, not just like a Because ma- I could just make a straight-up like metal amp. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure... I'm I'm sure if I made it, if I made just the most brutal, evil, awesome, perfect metal amp, I would probably be tempted to be like, well, what if I could just 
get the clean sound just a little bit more like this or that. Well, I'd be, maybe I could actually get some like tweed sounds in there if I if I change this, you know. That's kind of my how, kind of always how it goes. Um which is why I don't make any clone like, you know, straight up clones of amps or anything. Right. Um, even with the Earthling, I'd say that one is closest to a vintage amp like is uh r- like to the mad amp, but even in that amp, I, I've done a lot to make it more to more more versatile because those old ones are pretty frustrating, um, and it's different too. Like I've noticed, like vintage amps, you can get away they <laughs> they get away with a lot more because they're cool old amps. I don't have the luxury of like the uh, you know even if even if your mad amp is like frustrating the hell out of you. You just look back at it and you're like, oh yeah, that thing's so it's cool. A- <laughs> you, like the, it can uh, do no wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like the you don't have the uh uh the nostalgia and the mojo working for you quite in the same way as exactly. Exactly. As something Maybe like one that. day I will. <laughs> one day. Um and uh but yeah, so I have to try really hard to make sure the amps, you know, they're they're dead, there's no noise at all. The taper of the controls works just as you would expect it to work. Um, there's yeah stuff like that. So that's a lot of my design work is is making sure the amps can do like the vintage sounds, but also, you know, people have pretty high expectations these days of of gear and yeah. I th- it's funny sometimes because I'm like, man, I get these amps dead quiet, but you plug in a single coil pickup, <laughs> it's just like <laughs> it's just. Okay, it's like people will tolerate all the noise of a Strat pickup or something, but they, you know, when with an amp, it has to be like dead silent. And I wouldn't design noisy amps. I, I'm too OCD. I couldn't do it. But um, it is just funny how uh, people are willing to accept certain things, you know. It noise is always a funny one for me because I'm I've discovered that I am fairly uh, noise tolerant. Yeah. Like. Because I'm like, I don't know. I'm I'm always playing with a lot of fuzz, pretty dirty, like not all the time, but fairly often. And I just know that when you do that, you're gonna have some noise, or you got to put a gate on it, and then you're gonna lose some sustain. That's just reality. That's just yeah. you can't have you you can't have crazy high gain, no gate, and expect it to be dead silent. It's just physics. Yeah, that's know? kind of a and you know metal players are know this. I everyone I know that plays extreme metal and unless they're going for actually like noise as part of the sound of the band, mm-hmm. everyone uses a noise gate. It also like is it's kind of part of the sound because it can make it more percussive and stuff. So it's interesting how like actually like a noise gate's become part of the tone of of most metal, but um I think people use high gain definitely are are in agreement with you and they know what to expect. But yeah. Um, yeah. Just more like it's, little buzzes and hums and sometimes though I play amps and I'm like, man, people are okay with this like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's most people don't notice, yeah. It's weird though, like the amount of times where like pedal builder friends of mine will get like send me emails that they get and they're like I plug this compressor in with my strat and uh now my amp's really noisy what's wrong with your pedal and it's like yeah. well, it's, <laughs> I mean it's a compressor it makes the thing yeah it's going to bring up the quiet sounds 
That's what it does. And right. I, some of it's just like <laughs> lack of education, but the, the people like just literally not knowing what they're buying sometimes and then accusing yeah. the builder of making something that's crap when they, it's actually doing exactly what it's supposed to do. You just don't know how to use it. Yeah, it's hard to these days, but there's some um, like people's pedal boards are so elaborate. There's like so much different gear interfacing. Yeah. Um, that it's hard because you have to try to make, you know, when I design effects loops, I have to try to make them work with, you know, all different kinds of ways people might use an effects loop because it's not just, you know, you used to just put like um, a reverb or a delay and that, you know, back in the days they used to just make everything line level for rack equipment. Now everyone yeah. puts pedals, so that's an obvious thing. You make it pedal friendly, but a lot of people use effects loops as power amp returns with preamps or digital modeling stuff or they use four cable method with like this and that and it's just a lot to <laughs> design around <laughs> you know because there's just like so many it's really cool though because you can if you have a problem these days like a practical problem there's some way to to fix it right you can get around it somehow yeah, yeah. yep yeah it is interesting though how many people will have some sort of elaborate setup throw a new piece of gear at it and then say oh, this new piece of gear that I threw at it is the problem because it never used to do this before. Right. I and mean, it actually might be just the way it's interacting with other things. Yeah. And yeah. that particular pedal is fine. You know, it's just you weren't expecting it to cause something to feed back because of your crazy routing. And uh, some people are a little quick to blame the unit rather than the setup. Yeah. <laughs> that, that gets a little irritating sometimes. Yeah, I think I think a lot of players are becoming so knowledgeable at the same time like about this stuff that um I'm I sometimes I'm so impressed by like my customers they're like when they their questions they ask me um I'm like wow you know a lot about this stuff <laughs> <laughs> you know it's just it's pretty you know and I think YouTube and and stuff has and there's so much like education around like gear and stuff these days that it's it's pretty cool cuz I think people are able to problem solve better and find out like what they actually need, you know, and mm -hmm. it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool time for sure to, to be into, into gear and stuff. I'm always finding new things, you know, <laughs> even though I just make amps, I like, I play in bands that use big pedal boards and stuff. And I'm always like, you know, messing around with different stuff. So, yeah. It's it's a it's a fun world. Like there's I've said this for years, but there's never been a better time to be a, an electric guitar player than right now. Yeah. Like, well, except for oh. the um used prices on equipment. Well, <laughs> yeah. That's a bit uh, that's a bit of a newer development and the um, tube shortage. <laughs> the tu the tube shortage. Oh, man. Everyone bought all the tubes. Remember, it was like toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> it it seems like, like that's calming down a little bit like people are realizing no okay there are tubes and well, my there, tubes there, well, there's no choice like, there's no tubes to buy <laughs> right <laughs> I you have can't some. panic buy. I have some I hope I can get more it's a problem for sure I mean there's gonna be more tubes tubes aren't gonna go away but it was just funny because on on YouTube there was all these YouTubers with really clickbaity um things and they were all, actually the ones I watched they were they were like being uh, responsible about it, but it like totally backfired because everyone would say, you know, it seems like 
this will blow over or whatever. So don't everyone go out there and buy tubes. But you might want an extra set of tubes. <laughs> I mean, I bought an extra set. I mean, don't go out there and buy all the tubes. But so, you know, if a million people watch those buy videos, one set. Yeah. <laughs> everybody buys a set of tubes, all the tubes are gone overnight. I mean, they're literally gone overnight. It's crazy. Well, not to mention, and I, I've, I did get some confirmation on this later. It's like, it wasn't just the consumers that went crazy. And it wasn't just the small amp builders that went crazy. There were some of the very large amp companies trying to hit up anybody and everyone they could yep. uh, to put in like massive, massive tube orders. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know that any of them were successful. At least the distributors that I have connections to were like, listen, we'll sell you some, but we're not going to screw over the rest of our customer right. base. You know? Right. Um, One thing so, I haven't heard about and um, is that, you know, the industry standard for guitar cabinets and head boxes is Baltic birch plywood. With, yep. Mm -hmm. And Baltic birch plywood, 90% of it, I think 10% of it maybe comes from Finland, but 90% of it comes from Russia. And mm -hmm. unlike the tube thing where it turned out there wasn't actually an export ban on it after all, there is definitely an export ban, as far as I know, on lumber. Birch. Yeah. And... So, um, I definitely bought an insane amount of that because <laughs> I freaked out and I was like, oh no, Baltic birch, it comes from Russia. <laughs> I better get some. Um, so I have enough Baltic birch to build a lot of cabinets, but, um, after that, I don't know who knows what will happen. May have to switch to something else, a different type of plywood, pine plywood or something. But um, I figured I don't want to have to fall solve that problem right now. <laughs> the two <laughs> yeah, things I mean, enough. So my uh, my I'm good friends as the entire podcast listener base knows with Chris Benson. So we talked. Oh about yeah, the, I the I just met him for the first time the other day. Um, he I think he had like apprenticed for Ben Varellen in Seattle. Yes, years ago when yep. he started, mm -hmm. or he worked for him or whatever, and. Uh, and Ben had a little uh, amp show. Ben's like now like retired, at least for now. That's um, what he says. But he has a really cool, well, I think part of the reason is, well, he's in, a, he's in a band that is busy. And he also has this really cool bar. I don't know if you've ever been there, Bar House. I've, I've heard about it, but I've never yeah, been. Yeah, and they have shows there. And it's it's a really nice place. And um, he's been running that place, you know. And um, in his shop is also there. And um, he has like a wood shop across the alley and stuff. It's it's really cool. But um, he had a little like amp gear swap thing, and um, and I went and he invited me to show my stuff there. And uh, and uh, uh, Chris uh, Benson was there, so nice. I got to meet him for the first time, so that was cool. But anyways, what was he t what was he telling you about? Well, we were stuff? just talking talking about this very same thing, and I was th I didn't even think. Until somebody else mentioned it, the Baltic birch thing, I was like, oh, yeah, that's a problem. And then I remembered, like, wait a minute, Benson uses pine. I right. kind of forgot that he, used, like, that's why I was trying to think, like, why did Chris never bring up the birch thing? Yeah. We were talking about tubes for, like, three hours. And then it was, like, dawned on me, like, he's not even thinking about it. He's he's always used pine. Yeah, uh, pine, he uses pine, pine on the, purpose. Yeah. Yeah, the solid pine is, like, a, a fender thing, and um, it's... It's uh, it's real nice for for smaller stuff. Yep. Um, 
especially combo cabs. Um, yeah, the, all the big, all the big stuff is Baltic Birch, so it's it's hard. I think there's a couple of companies that maybe use. I don't know. I think everyone uses Baltic Birch. It's crazy. That's all I can think of. I've never heard anybody advertise anything other than Baltic Birch I, or Pine. V Victory Amps uses, and they used to be. Have you heard of Victory, the British company? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. They have um, the old, the original company was called Cornford, and um, oh, they, okay. Yeah, Martin Kidd. He's the same designer. Um, and uh, they used they used pine. I don't know. And now I, because I when I was thinking about this, I was like, is there any other companies? And I I found Victory uses. They still use birch for like the. Uh, baffle board and backboard of the amp, but I think mm -hmm. they use something else for the outside, like like some kind of like pine plywood or something. So I don't. I might have to look into that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a uh, it's definitely something. I mean, with guitars too. You know, we we have gotten used to having certain materials, right? right? And now there's now they're saying like Fender. I think started to phase out Swamp Ash a few years ago. Oh, now wow. more, more more and more companies are having to stop using pine or excuse me not pine swamp ash just because they're just having a hard time getting it you know and so i think we as guitar players yeah. have to kind of prepare for materials to shift and evolve over time and and you know i think i, I mean i'm personally not too worried about it as a player like companies right. are going to put out largely good stuff Nobody wants to put out trash. So if it's right. if it's a different wood that you end up having to use, I think it'll probably still sound good because I trust that you're not going to put out any garbage. So you know, I'm not. Yeah, it's less too important concerned. with, with um, cabs too, especially like big sealed cabs. The main reason to use Baltic birch is it's just it doesn't warp. It's high. You know, you can get it with a really nice surface if you want to stain it. Although birch mm -hmm. is not a good wood to stain. It's very difficult to stain, to get an even stain. But, um, you know, the reasons that they use it, it's more structural yeah. than tonal. I mean, obviously for a head cabinet, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't affect the sound. <laughs> At least I haven't met anybody who said that. Has, has claimed it affects that. the tone. Yeah. <laughs> the tone is in the head cab. Well, we I remember back it. in the day, um, if you've heard of the famous um, train wreck amps, Ken mm -hmm. Fisher, he used to kind of like troll people, I guess, or early trolling, you know, he would say that like red wire sounded different because the, he would just make stuff up. And I mean, there's a lot of people that don't think he was joking, but I think he was a hundred percent joking about, <laughs> about like the color of the wire changing the slew rate of the, he was just like saying stuff, messing around, but um, <laughs> he definitely was a very particular about sound and the way that the amps were constructed and everything but I don't know I feel like Dumble used to say stuff like that too but, right you gotta align the crystal lattice yeah there's something know. about the crystal lattice I don't <laughs> I haven't I don't know I'll have to find where that where he originally said something about that but uh, I believe it was actually in a video oh um, yeah if I remember correctly I I feel like I I'm my brain may be playing tricks on me but I feel like I saw him say that in a video yeah. somewhere. And he used to buy but, parts from Radio Shack. 
I know. <laughs> what does he care about? They don't sell crystal. I don't know what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, wow, the Dumble stories that Andy told on the Patreon section. I was just like, wow, he was a much more interesting individual than I realized. Like, yeah, I've heard some <laughs> weird stuff down there. Like, originally, I heard that he, I don't know if he mentioned this, but I remember a long time ago, I heard he quit making amps and then he was making like rifles or something. Like, he was designing, I have no idea. He got into <laughs> something, he like got into something else that was e- equally as nerdy, but it was just like a totally different. Thing when he stopped making, I don't know if he ever really stopped making amps, but when he kind of semi-retired, he got into some other geeky stuff. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't. I, you know, I'm just <laughs> repeating what Andy said. Uh, I don't have anything. I and I believe Andy, but obviously this is just a, coming from one guy. But yeah, I guess he was like living off the grid and okay, that's all, probably what like, I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah, and he like he was a sovereign citizen and. All this other stuff, like he was sure. a qu- quite interesting individual. I was I, a lot of stuff that I had never heard before, and and it, it's too long to go into. But totally, like, I'll we, have to check we, it out. That's crazy. <laughs> we talked about it for like a half hour, and I was just like, "This is crazy." I had no idea. And Andy, you know, had had some weird interactions with him, and uh, admittedly, like Andy, like was kind of trolling him a little bit. You know, uh, that's not yeah. the words he used, but that's kind of what was going on. Um, right. So they had a little bit of a little bit of a high friction relationship as well. So um, it was it was entertaining though to hear Andy's side of it. Interesting, yeah. I'll have to check mm-hmm. that out. Uh, it's kind of fascinating. <laughs> well, I just realized what time it was. This kind of flew by okay. on me, and uh, I still yeah, have. Yeah, I'm a chatterbox for sure. Well, that's perfect. The podcast gets <laughs> weird when you stop talking. That's that's when it gets awkward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, b- before we get into the classic questions and wrap this thing up, this is the point mm-hmm. where I like to give the guests a chance to plug anything they want to plug, shout out their grandma, uh, anybody you want to thank, anybody you want to, you know, give a shout out to and to a couple thousand people. And that was a good time to do it. Um, yeah, I would say, um, if you have any, uh, questions about my stuff, you can always email me and, um, Follow me on Instagram. I would love to have, t- it doesn't matter, but I'd love to have 10,000 followers by my birthday in June. That would be cool. So if you don't follow me on Instagram, that would be awesome. Um, I really um, hope to have some new stuff this year. I We didn't get really a chance to talk about it, but um, I'm working on something pretty exciting with uh, John from Electronic Audio Experiments. So I know Ooh, you've had Ooh, my boy. Yeah, yeah we're, love um, we're working on a pedal um, that's like based off one of my amps. So um, I just got the prototype for that this week. And so we're tweaking that. And uh, I don't know exactly when that'll be ready, but um, that's pretty cool because I've never done a pedal before. And um, yeah, and so he's a buddy. Um, and uh, so thanks to John. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thanks to... Um, my girlfriend who um, I live with in my home shop and she's very tolerant of all the amp uh, racket that I make all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Although amp building, besides when you're testing, is a fairly uh, quiet activity. Um, And uh, yeah, that's just about 
it really. I don't really have anything new products to plug or anything. I'm just trying to catch up on orders and stuff. So thanks to all my customers for being really patient. I appreciate it. <laughs> nice, nice. That's exciting. Yeah. John, John's the one to do a pedal with if you're going to do a pedal. That the guy. Oh is yeah. Oh yeah. Really real smart. Deal. Yeah. I I love that dude. He's fantastic. Um. Yeah. All right. So classic questions before we wrap this thing up. First one. Okay. What's your favorite boss pedal? Oh, okay. Just one. Um, I love boss pedals. And there was a time when boss was not very cool. I remember it was only cool to have like a TU2 and a metal zone. But now I'm a huge boss <laughs> freak. Um, I'm looking down at my pedal board. Oh, I really like the um, the DD500. Oh, yeah. That thing looks cool. classic boss pedal. It's a newer boss pedal. But if you are into tweaking stuff and you've tried a million delays and you just, every delay you've tried has a, oh, I wish it could do this. I wish it could do that. The DD500, you can make it do anything. It's crazy. And the way I use it a lot is I set the, sometimes I set the delay time to one millisecond. It's like the shortest it can be. And then, um, so basically it's not a delay. You can just use like, if you have, okay, it has like a slicer delay based off yeah. the slicer pedal, you know? And uh, if you turn the delay all the way down, it's just a slicer. Nice. So you've got a slicer or whatever. So um, I use it like a flanger. I use it kind of to do that like even tied micro pitch thing where it's like, it's like kind of flangey doubled sound. It kind of, it sounds kind of like you hear on old post punk recordings when they double the guitar and. You can just do so much crazy stuff with it. But um, yeah, I love a lot of boss pedals. So um, I like, uh, I was just messing around with their line selector pedal. I had a new appreciation for for the line selector. Yeah. It's a utility yeah. pedal, but it's like, man, they make so many gadgets like that. People are still coming out with gadgets like that. And the line selector for when it came out and how well it works it's so cool and and it, you can use it to solve so many like modern like we were talking about pedal board problems mm -hmm. and blending parallel pe pedals in parallel or blending a clean signal with your with your overdrive or whatever you can just do so much cool stuff with it and it's you know compact I don't know yeah <laughs> I could talk a lot about boss pedals I also love boss pedals <laughs> I, I love them too I got one right here yeah, uh, there's, there's one over there. There's one over there. Yeah, that's why it's a question. Uh, yeah. yeah, my uh, big supporter and uh, moderator in the Tone Mob group, Jason Fuzzmonger, suggested that years ago, and it's been it's been a fun question to add in at the the end of every episode. So cool. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. And it's it's awesome because there's like they have such a history and they have so many weird things that people don't think about. Or the line selector is like a classic one that's. I didn't realize how cool it was till somebody brought it up on the show. They're like, oh, the line selector. You, you never played one. I hadn't oh, at yeah. the time. And then I was like, oh, man, that is an awesome pedal. Wow. That, how ahead of their time they were with everything, it seems. Yeah. The way that I used to use it with my JCM 800 was that I would set the amp dirty and then but not super. I mean, they don't get super high gain anyways but then for a clean sound I realized with the pedal you can just you can just use one cable in and one cable out and there's two little volume controls and you can use um, you can just switch between the two volume controls so I would set one 
cleaner as like a volume cut. Mm-hmm. And I used to do that with a volume pedal and I used to stack washers for like a minimum volume. Oh, so yeah, I, yeah. You know, you've probably seen people do that. But the problem with those, you know, is I didn't know at the time about buffers, but, you know, they weren't buffered. So when I tried to clean up the signal, it would get dark. But I didn't yeah. have that problem with the boss because it was buffered. And and then you can even use the other volume control to boost the front end of the amp. So in like one pedal, you can have a volume cut and a, a clean boost and the, with a buffer. And it's just like one of the million things you can do with it. But yeah. um, you're kind of only limited by your creativity with those kind of pedals. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Final question. Okay. This is the one that gets a little bit dicey, a little bit weird. What is your favorite kind of pizza? Oh, Oh, okay. I got a good one. Okay. I'm originally from New Mexico. Okay. And so um, the big thing in New Mexico is green chili. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people in Portland, actually, green chili has... I'm going to give a shout out to uh, Pepperbox. Have you ever been there? Pepperbox is great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a mm-hmm. New Mexican restaurant. That guy's from New Mexico. He's It's legit. Like, I, that is legit New Mexican food. And... uh so green chili, it's like a roasted pepper. It's not that different from an Anaheim or something, but it's it's a little bit spicier, and it's it's a roasted pepper, and they use it in, ton, in everything in New Mexico. And um, so one thing that they do with it is put it on pizza. So you can have green mm-hmm. chili cheese pizza. So that's probably my favorite pizza. That sounds really good. Just green chili good. and cheese. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, mm. it's not that different from having some kind of like roasted peppers, but it's just like... Green chili is kind of a special thing. So I would say green chili, cheese pizza. Okay. Green chili yeah. and cheese. I like it. it yeah. You you made my brain just kind of melt for a second when you mentioned Pepper Box because I've been there several times and I really like it. But I realized the last time I'd been there was in 2020 mm-hmm. with my friend Jess. We And we were there like literally like a week before lockdown. Mm-hmm. And we were... And the reason it stands out so much to me is because we were there eating lunch after uh, the Stompbox Deli came and did a thing in Portland. And so we were there Uh hanging out with all the Portland pedal people crammed into this little tiny, like, really, it should have been in a bigger venue. It was very small. Um, (laughs) There were... And there was probably like 2,500 people that came in and out of that place. They were literally like having to stop people at the door. No, no. Well, so the 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 pedal expo is like kitty corner to Pepper Box. It was at that uh, place called uh, Holocene. Um, oh, I remember really, that place. It was a venue. Yeah, I don't know if it still is. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure if it's still there or not. But we were all crammed in there, and there was like 2,500 people in and out. Yeah. And so it's it's just this weird memory I have because it was like the last event I went to before lockdown. Oh, interesting. And yeah, Pepper Box yeah. was was where we ate afterwards. So. Weird. Yeah. It's a good weird tangent. It's, it's a, I hope they're still. I hope they're still open. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to look. I'm not sure if Holocene made it or not. Uh, I think Pepperbox did though, so that's good. Oh yeah, Pepperbox. Um, I don't care about Holocene. Pepperbox though, if they close, <laughs> I'm gonna be real sad. <laughs> I I think they're still open. I feel like I drove by there recently and it looked looked like it was open. So oh good, fingers good. crossed. Good good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, this was a lot of fun. Thank you for hanging out with me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks educating for me on me. your yeah. stuff. Yeah. My pleasure. Uh, now's probably a good time to slide over to Patreon. 
Okay, cool. All right. Thanks, everybody. And see you in the next one. All right, everybody. For Alex, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Alex is a great dude. And we had a wonderful, wonderful conversation for the patrons of this podcast. So if you'd like to support this show, literally keep the lights on around here. You can go to patreon.com slash tone mob and you can hear the extended version of this conversation because we went on for, I think, around another hour or so. There's a ton of extra content over there and it is a massive help. It is five bucks a month. And while that may not seem like all that much, when everybody gets together, it really adds up and quite literally pays my electric bill. So thank you very much for everyone that does that. And if you can't do that, I totally get it. I totally understand. But if you could share this show, you could share this with anybody, anybody you think might enjoy it, just send it to them, tell them, come on, you got to check this out. And that helps immensely. Amplify that signal, get this out to as many people as you possibly can. And that is a huge thing for me. So thank you very much to everyone that's done that. Thank you for spending the time. And I will talk to you very soon. Bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is ToneMob.com Stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.